0: Good morning. I'm going to start this morning uh, with a bit of a poll, a poll of the audience. And uh, I'd like you to think back um, how many different houses or homes that you've lived in at a a time some of us men were together. And uh, I thought it was kind of fascinating. So we're going to start there this morning. So um, be thinking, how many different homes have you lived in? Some people, it's a short list. Other people are trying to count in their mind. I can see the minds going. Um, everybody kind of have a count of where you're at at least close so what we're going to do we're going to start with uh, those that have lived in one and only home raise your hand so we're going to see a few children here All right. Who, how about two I'll have to raise my hand here at two who all's is at three okay a bigger group at three who's at four all right. Five. Uh, who all is at above five? Wow. OK, let's just start going it. keep your hands up and put them down. Who all uh, Six. Seven. Eight. Nine. 10. Eleven. Twelve? Thirteen. Where do you go, Naomi? What's your, uh, what is your number? Uh, sorry, am I missing somebody else? okay, 13, uh, 14? why don't you guys just give me your number? what is your 13 that I can remember not to Wow, okay, so I it, we'll go with fifteen and Marlene and about, 13. about thirteen okay, incredible well that um, just that's fascinating so obviously we've lived in a lot of different places, a lot of different environments um, so in the last uh Couple of weeks I got an article um, written by Jeremy Pryor called A Family Home, A Family's Home, Outpost or Retreat Center. And so I've been thinking a lot about the home where we live, and maybe some of this is just a function of being middle-aged. And Nicole and I have been married 20 years. We've lived in the same house all of that time. And so you start to ask, you know, is this meeting the needs of our family? Is this still where we're supposed to live? And, uh, and those kinds of things. So I, I do want to say at the outset, the article was kind of the catalyst that got me to thinking. My family um, can attest, they feel like I'm always saying, hey, I read this article. For some reason, reading, I enjoy it, and it's really helpful to me. Um, as we start thinking about this, I just want to share for your children here, I want to share a few pictures of, of houses around the world. So here's a picture of a house in Thailand, um, who all would be willing to live here just because of the view and be all right with the house? At, you know, there, I think there's a lot of people that may do that move. Here is a traditional house in Japan, Ethiopia, Bolivia, Peru, and yes, they are on floating uh, reeds that form an island, Bangladesh, and England. So just um, pointing out the variety of houses where people live, one thing to keep in mind as we talk about this, I didn't pop one up of the U.S., uh, but in comparison to the rest of the developed world, the average home in the U.S. is 800 square feet larger than any other country. So would would the logical conclusion be that hospitality runs high in the U.S.? You would think so, um, but it, sadly it does not. Um, so I want to talk about houses and homes. I am going to be clear at the outset. In, in the Bible, the word house can mean a lot of different things. So the one just straightforward meaning is it's, it's like a house, like where you live. The other way it gets used a lot is in the sense of a family. So think about in Joshua, he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So clearly he's not talking about the building, he's talking about his family and then the third way it gets used is it's, it's even broader than family. It's like it's where you live and it's your family and it's all of the stuff and it's everything that's there and it often gets translated as house or household. Um, and so what I'm talking about today is literally more the place we live and the last, like all of the things in our care. And I'm not so much talking about it in the sense of the home and the family and how a family functions. So, does that make sense? We're more talking about all of us live somewhere, and I'd like us to think in in terms about that. I also want to just say at at the outset here that I'm a little bit worried that I'm going to be more heard for what I'm not saying than for what I am saying. Um, Because I'm not talking about the home as a place for our children, I just want to highlight and underscore at the start homes are given to us by God to meet needs. They are to give us rest. They are to give us a launching point. It should be an environment where our children can thrive. All of that is the foundation. And even though I'm not talking about it today, please don't hear me minimizing it. So I'm saying that's the foundation. Um, What I did is I basically went through the New Testament and looked at how does, in the New Testament, how does God talk about where we live? And so I'd like you just to, to go along on a journey through the New Testament. It'll be kind of quick. Um, and all of us live somewhere and just be thinking about what are the attitudes of a born-again Christ follower about um, our house and where we live. So I'm going to read in the New Testament, and we're basically just going to point out four attitudes or four truths um, about where we live. So is everybody clear on, on how we're talking about a house and... And a family and, and all of that. We're gonna, so we're going to jump in, and again, I'm just going to highlight four truths, and we'll look at several scriptures related to each of these truths. Um, and I'll share what the truth is at the end. So I'm going to start in Mark 10. and this is when uh, this is right after the rich young ruler, and this story is recorded in two different places. So after the rich young rich young ruler, Jesus says, "It's hard for people who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are saying, okay, how does this work? So in Mark 10, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So there's a lot of things that we could talk about related to this, but at the end of the day, Jesus just, you know, taught the rich young ruler he needs to be willing to give up everything, and the same is true for us. Following Jesus does mean that we have to hold everything we have with an open hand. Not everybody is called to leave their house or their family or to give away everything, but every follower of Jesus is called to hold that with an open hand and surrender it to Christ. All right, gonna look at another, another passage um, related to this. And as these things go, the battery died, so I'll just flip it up here. Um, this is in Acts 4 at the, at the birth of the church. And again, what I'm looking for is what, are, what does Scripture tell us about the attitude towards where we live? Um, so the church is being started, and I'll just read Acts 4.32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So they're they're looking around saying, hey, what are the needs? And they're willing... To sell all of their assets to meet the needs of other believers. And one of the things we have to be so clear on here, this is not communism. This was not forced. This was people that would decide if they wanted to do that. Not everybody did, Um, but that was, so that's one attitude. The next passage I'll pop up here, and I'm not going to read all this, is just in Hebrews where it's talking about Abraham. And it tells us that Abraham lived in a tent, even though he's in the promised land because he was looking for a city that God would bring him down the road. And in verse uh, 13, it talks about everybody who lives by faith has the attitude of that we're just sojourners, we're exiles, we're not here permanently. Um, so that's, that's the attitude that comes out of Hebrews 11. So taking all three of these, all three of these passages and just boiling it down to a very simple truth about where we, where we live, our house, our home. I believe the call from God is that it should be surrendered to him. That regardless of where we live, regardless of how long we've lived there, it, it needs to be held with an open hand and, and surrender to God. All right, we're going to go into, and again, I'll, I'll read through some scriptures and then just pop up a, a kind of a summary attitude here. Uh, so we'll go into, again, into the Gospels. Um, well, actually, in the Gospels, when Jesus sent out, the 12 disciples and the 72, he told them, go out, don't take money, just go and stay where people will welcome you. So in that setting, houses were used as a ministry hub. In Acts 5, again at the start of the church, um, we read this, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, that Christ is Jesus. So the church gathered in corporate places in the temple, and then it says they went house to house. So one thing to think about is there, the very earliest church building that people have found anywhere was at least 200 years after Christ. And most people would say there were no churches, as in the, the definition of building, for the first 300 years of Christianity. It wasn't even legal in the Roman Empire to build a church building until 313. So when you think about the church, picture gathering in some public way, but really the life of the church was house to house. In fact, when Saul was out persecuting the church, it's terrible. It says he went ravaging the church, and it says he's dragging men and women going house to house because that's where the church was. That's um, that's how it was how it functioned at that point. It was all um, house to house. So if you if you put yourself in this setting, how important is your house? In a little bit of a different sense of in the U.S., we tend to think of it as it's kind of our private getaway from the world. A little bit we lean that way, right? In this setting, um, the church very much the life of the church was um, from house to house. One of the things that we see in scripture is that when a the qualifications are listed for pastors, it says that a pastor must be hospitable. And so if you think about it, if the church was meeting in houses, probably at the pastor's house, you would have to be given to hospitality. And then even uh, looking in 1 Timothy 5, um, picture a world without Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, any kind of help programs. And the widow, the churches were called to help the widows. And, and listen to what a widow needed to do um, to be enrolled to, be, to receive help. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So in, in the New Testament era, being hospitable was just, it was very much woven into what it meant, meant to be a believer. And also think back to this time. If, you, if you'd go travel, there were, you couldn't just come up on the interstate and see, you know what, on this exit, my options for lodging are Holiday Inn and a list of options. There, there were very few Inns, and from what I understand, they were either very expensive or very dangerous or had a bad reputation. Um, and so when people would travel, Picture literally going house to house. And you couldn't say, all right, I'm going to swing off the interstate here for Chick-fil-A. And you, you were literally you know, more at the mercy of the people where you were, were traveling to. So in, in the New Testament, this was very crucial. And, and if you read, a lot of the early church was founded and strengthened by pastors who would go and travel and stay in different people's houses. And sec- I won't read all of this, but if you read the books of um, 2nd and 3rd John, a lot of it is centered around hosting fellow believers that would come. Um, so 3rd John says, Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers of the truth. The only place that I can find in Scripture that warns us about hosting a non-believer is in 2 John where it says, don't host false prophets. Because again, thinking if you were, if a church was in your home and you invited a false prophet in, they would get, they would have access to everybody And then they would go to the next house and say, you know what, I was in Catlett and I stayed with Wayne. Could I come into your house? And the next person would say, well, I don't know this person, but I know Wayne, and so sure, come in. And so that was the context why in 2 John, it says don't even welcome false prophets in your house um, because it mattered. But other than that, that is the only warning in Scripture that we have with any kind of a hint about um, showing hospitality to unbelievers All right, so looking at all of this, um, just very simply, I would say our home should first of all be surrendered to God, and second of all, should be actively used for ministry. That is the picture that's consistent throughout all of the New Testament. Okay, i want to look at just a couple more passages here uh, for the third one, and this is in Romans 12. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent, be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is a long list of short admonitions for us um, at, the, at the end and middle of this chapter. So in verse 13, it's talking about how a church should relate. And so the start of it tells us that we are to contribute to the needs of the saints. And I just want to be clear, that doesn't, it does mean in the sense of, hey, there's a need, I'm going to give money towards it. But the word for contribute is actually a lot more than that. It, it literally means you are to enter into and, and become a part of or partakers in the needs of, the, of your fellow believers in church. Um, so that's what, that is, that's what that means. And then it, it says to sh- seek to show hospitality. Um, and so when we think of hospitality, we, I'm assuming we think of a place to stay and food, and it, it certainly is that. But it, it also is more than that. It's, it's just focused on serving the needs of those around us. So when it comes to relating as a church, we are to seek to show hospitality. And the word for seek is really interesting. It's, it's like you're, you're seeking an opportunity, you're pursuing it, and you are, you're, just, you're actively chasing it. So, while I was studying yesterday, um, I had the blinds for my windows open, and I saw these two young guys, um, teenagers, and they were chasing each other across the parking lot. And one was trying to catch the other one. And I had to watch a little bit just to make sure they weren't mad, but they were having fun. And it was, you know, he would zigzag this way and and just watching the guy in the back. He could never quite catch up, but he was just following him. It was kind of interesting that I'm there studying this verse that says, you know what, you're actually supposed to chase after opportunities to show hospitality. And it was a word picture for me of what it, um, of what should be true in my life. One of the things that I will say is in studying for this and every time I get into the Word, I feel like I always am convicted of where I'm at. Um, and so I hope you hear that. I'm trying to take us through the New Testament, and it always reveals, wow, I need to let the Lord change me in, in these arenas. So that's one passage. I want to go to one more here related to this one, 1 Peter 4. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So again, this is in the context of the church. The end of all things is at hand. He lists a lot of things we are to do. And one of those is to show hospitality to one another. So that's the action. Did you notice the attitude that he calls out there at the end of that? Without grumbling. Um, so we are to, we're to have this attitude to be this type of person um, without without grumbling. Um, so our actions are commanded and important. Our attitudes are very important. And when it comes to to not showing hospitality. We all, there's a list of reasons why we may not feel like it or may not like it, um, and I'll just name a few. One can be pride. You know what? What are, what are they going to think uh, when, you know, when it comes to inviting you into their home or uh, maybe for ladies cooking food? Um, fear. How's this going to go? Um, or just flat-out selfishness. You know what? I just I don't feel like it. Um, that can be a hurdle, but, We are commanded to show hospitality and to do it without grudging, um, to seek to meet the needs. One of the things that I I ran across in studying this that I thought was very interesting, in in showing hospitality, think about it in terms of I'm I'm focused on the other person and what their needs are. And that's very different from the idea or the concept of hosting or entertaining, where, you know, when you get over here, it's kind of about, you know, me and the party that I'm going to throw and how this goes And yeah, we care about that, but hospitality is really focused in on on what the other person needs. One of the things that I hope is also clear is that you're not sitting here saying, well, hospitality is a spiritual gift that some people have, but not everybody is called to it. And there are some people who are more naturally wired that way. The expectation of the New Testament home and heart is one of hospitality for, for all of us followers of Christ. Alright, so the third one, just a very simple summary, is given to care of believers. So one, my home should be surrendered to God, it should be actively used for ministry, and the third is that it should be given to the care of believers. I'm going to read a couple of verses here, and the last point we're going to look at is Hebrews 13, verse 1 says, Let brotherly love continue, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. So I'm, I've been throwing out the word hospitality, we've been, we've been reading it. So what are we talking about? And very, very basically the meaning is a love of strangers. And so in the context, it's very clearly commanded that this body is to care for each other and that is, that's in many ways, our first responsibility. But I would not be preaching faithfully if I wouldn't say, it's also talking about outsiders. It's talking about strangers. It's talking about people we don't know. And or it's talking about people that we would not normally be associated with or in the same group. And, and one of the, the ways, I mean, this, this verse makes it really clear. It says, don't neglect it because we're going to be prone to, to show hospitality to strangers. So it's clarifying to strangers. Then it goes on to say, people have done this and have actually entertained angels unaware. And clearly that's not talking about inviting somebody in who you know well, or your, your peers or your friends. Um, and he tells us, and I, anyway, it would be interesting to pause and talk about, what, what is this business of entertaining angels? I, I don't fully know. But I do know that I think if we choose to not do this, we will miss out on on blessing from the Lord. Um, Because some people have done this, and entertained angels unaware. So we are to not neglect showing hospitality um, to strangers. So I want to read uh, a little story in Luke um, 14. So has anybody ever been in a social setting, a meal that was just particularly uncomfortable? Just flat awkward. You ever been in those kind? I'm going to read a story that I would submit to you was very uncomfortable. So the context is Jesus is invited in with all the Pharisees and, and a lot of people. And probably on the way in, and maybe after he got in, we don't know, he sees a man who is sick. And he knows that this is going to make the Pharisees mad. So he heals them. And then he asks everybody that's at this dinner party, is it okay to heal on a Sabbath? And he said, look, if, you know, if, your, if your animal goes in the ditch, you rescue it. And they were quiet. Nobody wanted to answer him. Then, you know, okay, well, we got through that. Maybe the disciples are thinking, all right, whew, okay, we're good now. Jesus sits down, and or as he's sitting down, he's watching people, and he says, look at you guys. Everybody's picking the best seat here. This is not the way it should be. Okay, so he gets through that, and maybe, again, the disciples are thinking, all right, now we're, now we're kind of done. And I just want to read the, the verses that picks up next in this, in this dinner party. He said also to the man who had invited him. So he's just talked to everybody about where they sit down, and then he talks to the host. Turns to the host and said, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. He talks to the host in this way. Then somebody there at the table makes a comment that, could be interpreted as trying to defuse the situation. And Jesus follows this and tells the parable of the wedding feast that everybody was too busy to come to. And in the end, he says, look, go out to the highways and the byways and invite people in that this party is for people who respond. Um, that, And that was the uh, conversation we have recorded for that dinner event. I find these verses very interesting. Um, Convicting and challenging. And again, we have to take all of Scripture together. God has just told us we're to invest in our friends, we're to invest in our church. It's not that we're not to do that. But he says, if you're going to go to the bother of throwing a feast and really just lavishing love on people, as a follower of Christ, we are to invite those in who are... You Go down the list. Basically, if they can't pay you back... Go ahead and, and, and use your hospitality, your love, your, your preparation on those people. And he says, if you do this, well, first, you, you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. And somehow, when we live like this, there is an eternal reward. He says, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Is that not amazing? Like Who we, who we choose to relate to. Um, so this, this is an arena um, that I feel like I have a lot of room to grow in. It's easy for me to think, what will I get out of this? Who am I comfortable inviting? Uh, who have we not had in a while? While well, it's our turn to invite you. All of this repayment stuff. And he says, just love, love people. So uh, to summarize that, um, the fourth attitude is that our home should be welcoming for outsiders. So it should be surrendered to God, actively used for ministry, given to care of believers, and welcoming for outsiders. One of the things that that is a reality in the U.S. um, as we become more isolated, and as we read more and hear more and more news stories, I feel like it just breeds suspicion of people that we don't know. There's just a general uncomfort of of people we don't know. And again, please hear me for what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. One of the the things that's even focused for kids is to teach stranger danger. If you're familiar with that term, it's a it's a big push, stranger danger. And there is truth in that. We have to make sure that our children know who to trust and not. But in the long term, as followers of Christ, we're not to live with a stranger danger mentality. and this is uncomfortable, and this is scary, but we're, we, are to, we are called to, um, to not live with that, that outlook. So, question for you. So, this very simple things. Why is this such a Christian response to how our home should be? Um, and I just, again, in, in wrapping this up, I just want to share a couple of things. Why is this particularly, why is this Christian Look at what God told the children of Israel when they moved into the promised land in Leviticus. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So when we open up our hearts to other people, We're following God's command, and he told the children of Israel, remember, you were were once strangers, and now you're not. And how much more true is that for us who, as born-again believers, we were estranged from Christ. We We were strangers. We were not connected to him in any way. We are the recipients of God's radical hospitality, and he says, remember who you were and extend that to other people. And then he just ends this by saying, I am the Lord, your God. And I think bottom line, when we open our hearts to other people, we are reflecting the character of God. This is who God is. Um, I am the Lord your God.. <clears throat> so thinking about um, thinking about our homes, there's a lot of phrases that we use um, to talk about them, so and you guys could probably fill them in for me. We say things like, Home is where the heart is. There is no place like home. Home, sweet home. So you've been traveling, you walk in the front door, or to quote Laura Ingalls Wilder, home is the nicest word there is. So you may or may not agree with that, but when you when you think about home, we all we all have this this sense where we want to be at home. And and it might be you know there's no, there's a feelings of nostalgia about where we lived. But when we talk about being home, or that feeling of at home, it, it is our house, but it's kind of that, that sense of belonging. Um, one of the things that's kind of weird for me is I can, I can tell my kids all about the house I grew up in, um, and I can drive to the street and it's not there. Like everything's, yeah, everything's gone. And so maybe you, you know, that, maybe that's your experience. The home that you lived in has changed, or the area has changed, but we all have this, this sense of belonging. We, we want a sense of belonging, and and for the believer, um, what I'd like to, to point out for us is John in John 14, Jesus says, "Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I, I would have told you that I go pre- to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am." you may be also. So as we enjoy our houses and our homes, we know they don't last forever, they change, and there's that, there's that feeling of just wanting to belong. For believers and for everybody, I would say this is what it is. We, we're literally made for eternity, and when we think about being in eternity, Jesus is saying he's inviting us into his house. He's making a house, a home for us, and there are many rooms attached I think it's a little unfortunate that it gets translated that there are many mansions. The word picture is not us living, you know, in an isolated large home. Um, we're we're invited into Jesus' house, Jesus' family. He's building a room for us. That's that's what heaven is. It's it's being with God. And so as we live, as we think about our home here that we live in, I think the word picture is that our home should be viewed as kingdom outposts that point to this. this. We're followers of Christ. This is what we're living for. Our home, whether we live here for a month or 40 years, it, it's the temporary place we live that is pointing people um, to who Jesus is and, and that we're made, uh, we're made for eternity. <clears throat> so again, just to wrap, I guess just to wrap this up, and this was circling all the way back to the article that I believe our homes or our houses are called to be outposts of the kingdom of God. We talk about the church being an embassy, and all of, each of our houses and homes should be an outpost of, of the kingdom of God. Hubs, for, hubs of community and hubs of hospitality. If you think about how, how people function in, in wartime, you know people would go from home to home just kind of doing whatever was necessary to help each other out. Um, and this this is not war, but I, uh, an example that I had to think of is when I was four, uh, my house, our house burned down, the house that um, Vi and Larry and Lorene and, and my whole family lived in. And you know what happened? We moved in um, with Nate and his family right back the street. Uh, Vi, Pete and Vi and Larry moved in with a neighbor. In other words, you just did what you needed to do because there was a need. Um, and so what I'm saying is that as... Believers and followers of Christ, we have to think about our time on Earth with a wartime mentality, that we're here short. We're not here. Our life is not that long. You do whatever needs done. You know, when you see need around you, you open up your house, you open up your heart. Um, we need to adopt a wartime, or just a, a time of need mentality, um, and seeing, seeing our homes as a, um, a place to serve and to reach out. So again, homes are places for hospitality and community. And please hear me, it is family first. Then it's called to to spread out to other believers. And beyond that, to strangers, hurting, lonely, those far from the Lord. And how we do this is going to look different depending on your season of life. So maybe if you have young children, that's different than another season of life. Um, If you're single, maybe that looks different, or maybe later in life, One of the things that I was thinking about related to how we view our home and use it is I would guess that there's never an ideal time to live this way. If you think, well, you know, at at this stage in my life, then I'll really be in a position to open my home and and live open-handed, I would say that that season is never going to come. There are certain challenges that come with every season that we live in, Um, and even And even as I'm talking about hospitality in our homes, I don't want us to get so zoned in on on just the house or the home. We have to apply this to our culture. Um, I do think that today people are maybe less comfortable going into homes than they were at one point. Uh, I think about places like the union market where people now are very comfortable gathering in open spaces or shared spaces. And so as you seek to apply hospitality, maybe it is your home, maybe it's your backyard, and maybe it's just other ways of connecting. The bottom line is finding ways to connect with people in meaningful ways and to meet and serve needs. And what I'm saying is this is also internal. This is an attitude. This is not just um, about our houses. It's an approach to life. Um, I read this quote, and I don't, even, I don't know who it was, so I can't give credit, but here's, here's what I'd like to wrap up. Hospitality does not begin with opening the door of our house. It begins with opening the door of our heart. So hospitality begins not with opening the door of our house, but with opening the door of our heart. And hopefully as we do that, we can have the, ad, the attitudes that I talked about that are New Testament uh, related for how we how we look at the homes in which we live, all right, thanks for your attention and uh, thanks for going through that tour of New Testament scriptures that mention houses and homes and households. Um, appreciate that uh, let's stand together, have a word of prayer um, and uh, also pray for the food downstairs for lunch. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for who you are God thanks for loving us and uh, Lord, I want to thank you that um, you take care of us. You've met our needs. Everybody here has a place to live. Um, God, I pray that you would work in us, that our attitudes towards our houses and homes could reflect um, your heart, um, what Scripture teaches us in the New Testament, and how the church lived. Um, I pray that we would faithfully live that out today. Um, God, I pray for myself and each of us that we just have a a heart of hospitality um, to serve and meet needs for those inside the church, for our family, and for those that are are definitely outside that we would not normally serve or connect with. Um, please give us the opportunity to do that, Lord. God, thanks for the food that's downstairs. We receive it as a gift from you. I ask that you would bless it and uh, bless our time together. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. Um, food is ready, so there's hospitality downstairs. Go ahead and eat food and, and chat however long you want to.